chapter 20. Follow along with me as I read uh, the entire chapter. Uh, before I do that, uh, let me come up for air. And uh, but we are blessed as a church, and one of those blessings is our praise band. It's if, if you don't feel God moving in this sanctuary after we sing together as a church family, uh, anyhow, it moves me, so thank you all for your faithfulness there. Chapter 20, and the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. (coughs) Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, You know all the hardships that we have met how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt a long time. And the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom said to him, You shall not pass through, lest I come out with the sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway, and if we drink of your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. And they journeyed from Kadesh, and the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came to Mount Hor. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor, on the border of the land of Edom, Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar's son and bring them up to Mount Hor and strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar's son. And Aaron shall be gathered to his people and shall die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded. They went up Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar's son. And Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain And when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron 30 days. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word, to have your word, to be able to read your word, to be among your people, to worship together here this morning. 
and set our hearts and minds on you. Lord, speak to us clearly and powerfully this morning. I pray that you'll conform us to the very image of Jesus Christ as we hear the word preached. Be with Brad as he teaches us this morning from Numbers 20. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. That may be the saddest passage in the whole Bible, right? And you're like, I came in for, a, for help today, and Brad decided to depress us all. Welcome to Old Powhatan Baptist Church. Um, no, let, let's make sure we get some context here, because there's a lot of really tough things in this passage of Scripture, and we need the context. What we're dealing with right now, and if you're visiting with us today, just by clarification, we're working our way straight through Scripture. So every week we're just working through the next chapter that comes because we believe that the Bible is God's Word and all of it is God's Word. And so all of it has application for us. All of it is profitable for us, even passages that we just want to close the Bible after and not hear any more bad news because the context here is that the people of Israel are on a journey through a wilderness from being redeemed out of slavery in Egypt and waiting to get to the promised land, okay? So there's this promised land that was promised to their forefathers all the way back to this guy named Abraham that the people, his descendants, would actually take this land and they would live in this land. So they have left Egypt, that was part one, and they went to a place called Mount Sinai where God gave his law to them so that they would become a people with a law and with a king, God being their king. That was section one of the journey. Section two of the journey was from Mount Sinai to the edge of the promised land. When they got to the edge of the promised land, they sent spies into the promised land to see, hey, is this land, what what are we up against? And they went in and 10 of the spies came back and says, people are too big, the land's no good. We shouldn't go in. Two came back and said, no, no, no. The land is great, and God's given this into our hands. We can trust him. Let's go. The people listened to the ten, and now we're in section three. Okay? Section three is, let's start over. That's basically what's happened. God says, I'm going to get rid of this generation. You're going to wander for 40 years until all of you die in the wilderness. And I'm going to take your next generation into the land. They're going to get the land. And so we're going to go back towards the Red Sea, and we're going to start over again. And if you remember, if you've been with us, Exodus chapter 17, there was actually a scene much like this where the people said, we have no water, and Moses took his stick and he struck a rock and water flowed from it. Guess where that was? Meribah. (laughs) We're literally right back where we started, okay? And we're literally dealing with the very same thing, but God is continuing to teach his people, provide for his people make his people more and more like who they're supposed to be as his people. And so as we're looking through this passage of Scripture, this particular chapter, as I said, quite possibly the saddest passage in the entire Bible. And when you read through it, it sounds like this like machine gun of bad news coming at Moses, right? It's just this litany of wave after wave after wave of bad news. You, you, you caught it, right? It's one of those things where nothing seems to be going right. You've had those days? Those days that turn into weeks, those weeks that turn into months, that turn into years, that turn into decades, it seems like, where one day seems like 10,000 years and not in the Bible sense, right? <laughs> right? It's, it's just one of those things where everything seems to be, it's just crash, crash, crash. Just look at what's going on in Moses' life here in, in, as he's on his way to paradise, on his way to the promised land. So I call this, you know, another day on the road to paradise, not another day in paradise, right? Another day on the road to paradise. And the other day on the road to paradise, there's not a whole lot of good news. There's not a whole lot of good things happening. And that, that seems to be the way life is, right? It seems to be the way life is. We can see good things. There are good things that happen, but so much of life is just wave after wave after wave. It's been said that if, if you're not in a crisis, you're either just coming out of a crisis or you're waiting on the next crisis. Right? This is the reality of what life can be when we're in between being redeemed, saved, right? And the day when we actually see all the promises fulfilled and we're with God forever and ever. Living in that in-between wilderness area, we need some hope. 
We need to see the truth. We need to look at things clearly. We need to understand what God is teaching. And we need real gospel hope. So here, in just a short time, weeks or a few months, Moses has some of the most momentous and difficult realities just smack him right in the face. Look at verse 1. It's about the most stark statement that you can get. It says, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Who is this Miriam? This is Miriam's. This is Miriam, Moses' sister. Now, yes, they had a little conflict along the way, right? Moses married a Cushite woman. Miriam didn't, evidently didn't like it and didn't like her very much. Complains. God dealt with that. But this is one of the most beloved people in Moses' life. I want you to think about who this Miriam is. Miriam is the one who, if you remember the story of Moses, Pharaoh was killing all of the children, right? He was killing babies, Israelite babies. And Moses' mother has Moses and puts him in a basket. And then this basket is in the reeds there of the river. Who's standing watch over that basket until Pharaoh's daughter comes to find the basket? It's Miriam. From birth, Miriam's been looking after her little brother. It's Miriam who at the Red Sea sings the song and leads the song of redemption to the people of Israel, how God has saved them from Egypt and has redeemed them as his people. Miriam is said to be the chief leader of all women among the Israelites. In fact, some commentators even say, and I would tend to agree with them, she may be the most important woman in the entire Bible because of what she represents as the people of God. And and as you read through this, it just starkly says, and Miriam died there and was buried there. He's got to be distraught. She was beloved by Moses, and now she's gone. It's another stark reality check that this whole generation wasn't going to make it into the promised land. That they were wandering until they died. Now, this is in his brain, in his mind. And then in the face of all that death and sorrow, you ever been in those moments of sorrow and life just keeps going and the next thing smacks you in the face? Here's Moses. Next thing, what happens? They come to Meribah and there is no water. It's another stark statement in verse 2. And there was no water. (laughs) And I love the complaints of the people. The complaints of the people are pretty fantastic. Look look at what it says in verse 3. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. What they're saying is just a couple of chapters ago, there's like tens of thousands of people that are struck down by the Lord. (laughs) They're like, we should have just died with them. And, And if you're Moses in this moment with your sister having just passed and the 4,000th complaint that you has been lodged to you by the people of God, you're like, yeah, yeah, I think that would have been a great idea. Or, I'll talk to God. We'll see what we can arrange. At this point, the frustration has to be mounting, right? They say, oh, that we had perished with our brothers when they perished before the Lord. Verse 4, why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we, and I love the fact that they're really concerned about their pets, and our cattle, right? I I want you to think about this. Just think about the stupidity, and I know that's a bad word to some kids, but they're back in the back. (laughs) Just think about the stupidity of what's being said here by these people. I'm like really feeling for Moses in this moment. They're like, why would you bring us out in this wilderness to die? He's like, I led you to the promised land. We were on the edge. You said no. So we're back here. I didn't lead us here. You led us here. You can hear the argument, right? You can hear how the frustration would just be growing. Then it says, and why have you made us come up out of Egypt? (laughs) I'm sorry. Now you're complaining because I led you out of Egypt? To this evil place. It's no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. We had all of those back in Egypt. And you would have had them in the promised land. This is, I'm just going to tell you, this is what leadership looks like a lot. You just want to shake people. So the frustrations are mounting. And the result is that Moses 
ends up responding out of that frustration, out of anger. After being given explicit instructions from God to speak to the rock, because there's no water, he's supposed to speak to the rock. What does he do? He takes the stick and he strikes the rock twice. And it's that disobedience, because of that disobedience, because according to what the scripture says, because you did not show the people that I am holy. That's what God says. Because you disrespected and disregarded me and my holiness. Because I spoke and you didn't do it. Now, Moses and Aaron aren't getting into the promised land. They're going to face discipline from the Lord. And the hits keep coming. In verse 14, Moses sends messengers to the king of Edom. Now, the Edomites are an interesting group. The Edomites were the descendants of this guy from the story, earlier in the story, named Esau. Many of you might remember Esau from the story. Esau was Jacob's brother. Jacob what, Jacob and Esau were the sons of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, who received the first promise from God for this people called Israel. But Jacob was the one who got the promise. Jacob was the one who got the birthright. Jacob was the one who God kept his promise through. And Edom was the nation made out of Esau's descendants. So you can think of these as long lost cousins, right? In fact, the text even says, hey, you know about our struggle. You know how we were in Egypt. You know how badly we were treated in Egypt. You know that God delivered us out of Egypt. You know all of this. We're trying to get to the promised land that was promised to us. Can we come through your land? Verse 19, the people of Israel said to him, we'll go up by the highway. And if we drink of your water, I am my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. It says, hey, we got to come through. Let us come through. We won't mess with anything. We won't touch anything. And it's like this whole exchange. Please, no. Please, no. Please. And the last one is, he said, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Not only no, but we're going to put our whole army in front of you so you don't come into our land. Thus, Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. Now you have this callous indifference and unkindness from people who know better. This is Moses' life, all in the course of just a few weeks or a few months. But it doesn't even stop there. Look at verse 23. More good news. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor on the border of the land of Edom. So we don't get to go through Edom, which would have been a straight shot through to the promised land. Now we have to go around. And while we're going around, we come to Mount Hor. And verse 24, let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar, his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor. And strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar, his son. So Aaron was the high priest, and they're going to take the high priestly garments off of him, put them on Eleazar, his son. He's going to become the new high priest, and Aaron shall die there. He will be gathered to his people and shall die there. So Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they went up Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And can you just imagine that conversation? Hey, brother. You who have been with me from the beginning of this whole saga. That when I met Yahweh God at the burning bush, I said, I'm not a good speaker. I can't go to Pharaoh and speak on behalf of you. And God said, then your brother Aaron will do it. I'll send him. You've been the one who's been with me the whole way. We've stood here before the presence of God so many times, walked through so many quarrels and disagreements with the people. Every time they complain, you go with me before God. We fall on our face and God answers us. I don't know that if we're going up Mount Hora and you're not coming back down, that I want to come back down. This is the reality of what's happening in Moses' life. When they got up there, Verse 28, Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar, his son. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. We're not told what happens next except that Moses and Eleazar left him there. Came down from the mountain and when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron 30 days. So not only has his sister died, not only has he found out 
through the people's rebellion and through his own disregard of God's word that he's not entering the promised land. Not only has he been rejected by Edom, but now he's got to tell his brother he's going to die, walk him up a mountain and leave him there. I mean, it really is a sad scene, isn't it? This is about as much tragedy as one person can take, if not more. And when you come to that crisis, how do you find hope? But I believe this chapter is not just sad. It's also when seen through the eyes of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. When we even see it through the eyes of God's grace and mercy and love, I think this passage can actually give us real hope as God's people. Because there's something in there that is so gospel-centered, so true about the gospel and the good news of Jesus, that it has to change our lives. That when the waves keep crashing over us and we don't know where to turn, that there's real gospel hope in here. So the first thing I want you to see is the bad news. The bad news that leads us to gospel hope. The first thing about bad news is this, that no one deserves to receive the eternal promises of God. Another way of putting this would be, no one can earn the reward. No one's righteous enough. No one. No one is righteous enough to get the promised land or to get all the promises of the promised land. I think this is a basic truth that we have to deal with, but it's a profound truth as well. And it's one that is really obvious in the text, but we probably run past it to the rock-hitting episode. And it's in verse 1. Did you catch it? Miriam died. So at the end of the passage, Aaron died. It's in the middle of the passage. Moses, you're not getting in. I'm sorry, but if Miriam, Moses, and Aaron can't get in, who can? It, it, they've put up with enough junk, haven't they? They've, they've done enough. They've been the spokespeople of God. They've put up with the rebellion of God's people. Aaron's been leading people into the presence of God in worship. He's literally standing between God and man, making sacrifices for the people. And they can't get in, then who can? Who can earn it? The answer is no one. No one can earn the eternal promises of God. Shouldn't it be their right at this point to get in? No. See, there's a truth that flies in the face of what humanity thinks about itself. And it's right here in this passage. See, humanity has a tendency to think in one of two ways, which is people are inherently good or neutral. That's the way most humanity thinks, right? People are inherently good or neutral. That's why you hear things like that restored my faith in humanity. Well, for me, you can't restore anything I didn't ever have. Okay? So that, that just, that maybe that makes me just a really lame person to hang out with. But the fact of the matter is, when I read Scripture, and I, there's not a whole lot of faith in humanity. God literally provides for every need of every human being, and they're like, eh. So I'm not sure what kind of faith we can have in humanity. But the fact of the matter is... People don't start from a neutral place or a good place. The Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The Bible tells us that we all have a sin nature and a sin problem, and we can't fix it. This weekend at our youth conference, it was said this way. The problem with self-help is that self is the part that's broken. So self can't be the solution. So the problem is spiritual problems can't be fixed with physical solutions. And that's what we try to do. This is a reality for all humanity everywhere. No one deserves to receive the eternal promises of God. So all of humanity is saying people are good. People are good. People are neutral and depends on their situation. No, people are sinners by nature. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have gone our own way. No one is good enough to earn 
the eternal promises of God. The inheritance that he has for us. No one is good enough to earn the goodness and blessing and favor of God. And we have evidence of this in the passage. Not just from Miriam and Moses and Aaron, but from the people as well. Because here's what we learn. People go their own way and in doing so, mock the God that made them. And God is not going to be mocked. Ultimately, all of the unrighteous people of the world or even the seemingly righteous people of the world will disobey and dishonor God. Look at the Look at what happens at Meribah. The people are complaining and they're lying about what has happened. They're blaming as opposed to taking responsibility. And in doing so, they're blaming God and they're blaming God's leaders, aren't they? Moses, why did you do this? Why have you brought us to this evil place? Why did you take us out of what was good, though it was evil, and brought us into this place? See, Romans 1 tells us what happens is people who in their twisted minds Physical minds will call evil good and good evil. And this is what the people are doing. They're mocking God who is good, calling evil good and good evil. And then the seemingly righteous people do the exact same thing. Even in the midst of their frustration, which is totally understandable because I'm just saying I'm thinking three times hitting it. Maybe hitting some people along the way. Wiping. I, I, this was an opportunity, and I'm going to go ahead and take it for Kayla. This will make Kayla. I would go full Rafiki on these people. <laughs> if you have ever watched The Lion King, you know what I'm talking about. I said it maybe three years ago, and she's been waiting for three years for me to say it again. So I, this is the moment where you're like, I don't care about hitting a rock. I'm hitting those people, right? You totally get where he's coming from. This is This is the reality. But in doing so, in hearing God's word and refusing to obey, he's making a mockery of God's word. And God will not be mocked. Look look at verse 10. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them. Okay, so God has said, take the staff, go to the rock, and speak to the rock. Moses takes the staff, goes to the rock, and speaks to the people. He says, here now, you rebels. This is going to go well. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Did you catch what he said? Shall we, me and Aaron, bring water for you out of this rock? I almost feel like at this point, Moses is about to hit the rock going, no water is going to come out of this thing because I didn't listen to God, and now they don't get water. I kind of feel like he's in the boat where he's like, I'll show these people. The only problem is when he hits the rock in disobedience, God still shows grace to the people. And water flows in abundance and everybody gets water. Regardless of what his mindset is in this moment, the biggest thing we know about him is he disobeys and makes a mockery of God and his word. When we hear God's word and we choose to disobey God's word, we're making a mockery of the one who gave us his word. And God ultimately will not be mocked. Romans 1 also tells us that there's enough evidence in all of creation to know the invisible attributes of God and to know that he is God. And yet we, being wise in our own eyes, right, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Even the seemingly righteous end up mocking God. So no one can earn it because the unrighteous and the seemingly righteous will mess up, will disobey, will dishonor God, will mock God. And it only takes one time to disqualify you. Only takes one time to disqualify you. So, like, how's the ledger? Right? God's not going to be mocked by anyone. He's not going to allow that. He's going to bring judgment. But here's the thing that happens, though. There is good news in the middle of this, and it's good news in this way. God was demonstrating the fact that he is the one who provides and keeps his promises, and he provides for his people. He sustains his people with water that brings life. It wasn't going to be Moses in his anger, and he's telling us, 
hey, I will use even your mess-ups, even your sin to accomplish my purposes because I am so full of grace. And so I want you to think about this. He hits the rock twice. Water flows out. The people who don't deserve water get water. And God is in that moment, in, in spite of Moses and Aaron, proving that he himself is the one who provides for the needs of his people and gives life. It, Jesus expounded on this. And he expounded on it in John chapter 4. There's a story there if you've been in church uh, any length of time, you, you might remember this story. Jesus was with his disciples, and they were heading from one area of Israel to another area. And they went through Samaria, which usually would go around because of the Samaritans. They didn't like them. They go through Samaria. The disciples go off for a while. Jesus is at a well, and a woman comes out in the middle of the day. Right? Jesus strikes up a conversation, which was unusual for a man to do with a woman and a Jew to do with a Samaritan, just not something that's going to happen. He strikes up a conversation, and he asks for water. Who are you asking me, a Samaritan woman, for water, the lady says. And he says, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for water. Well, how would you give me water? You don't even have a bucket to draw from the well with. What are you talking about, you crazy Jewish man? Right? That's literally what's happening, right? And, and he, go, he goes along and he, say, he says this. He says this. Everyone who drinks of this water from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, God's design through Moses and Aaron was speak and prove to the people that my word is true and my word brings life. Instead, they spoke and brought condemnation on the people <laughs> and struck the rock, bringing condemnation on God and mocking him. And yet God still showed grace. He still showed mercy. Isn't that good news? That God still shows mercy and grace, though we mock him and make a mockery of who he is and what he does. So the choice really for us is, do we want God to keep giving us grace for making a mockery of him? That seems a silly way to live, doesn't it? To say, hey, we're going to sin more so we get more grace. Paul would say, let it never be. But so much of life is this way, running after our own desires, running wherever our hearts desire. And the people's heart is displayed, put on display here too and exposed. Hearts that were hardened to the word of God. Hearts that ran quickly after their own desires and their own worries. Hearts that were more concerned about cattle than God. They were more concerned about their desires than the God who could provide for them. They they, their hearts weren't naturally fixed on God as the provider of their needs. No, they, their hearts were always looking for the ways that he would let them down. I had this conversation last night. You know people that constantly are looking for the negative? You know people like that? Everybody? Anybody? They constantly see the negative. They constantly look for the negative. Raise your hand if you know someone like that. Anybody? If you don't know someone like that, you might want to look in the mirror. Uh, possible you're that person i don't know uh but but the the fact of the matter is we a lot of us know somebody who can constantly pick something apart right constantly find something negative i, I just want to make sure you understand this if you're always looking for something negative you will find it because the world is broken and sinful full of death and disease and evil if you want to look for it you're going to find it and that's what the heart of these people. The heart of these people is not God is providing for us. God has always provided for us. He's never let us starve. He's never let us go thirsty. He's always given us our needs. We've come to this place before. Remember rock, water? Hey, God, we need rock out of the water. We can trust God for rock out of the water out of the rock. Rock out of the water. That's a, that's a, water out of, I got worked up there. Um, water out of the rock. We can trust God for that, but instead, what do they do? There's no water, just rocks. Yes, but there is God. Amen. And this is where they find themselves. 
always running after their desires. It's what Psalm 95 says about them. He is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. As on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, though they knew what I could do. I I just want to remind you of this. Both times, rock, water. I'm pretty sure the God who could take the Red Sea and part it can make sure water comes out of a rock. He says here, though they had seen my work, they still did not believe. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Is this what your life looks like? Is this what the life of so many people looks like? Hearing but not heeding? Seeing but hardening your heart? Knowing what God has done and can do but hardening your heart to his word, not trusting him? Going astray in your heart, not believing his ways are good and true. Rejecting the blessing of God and the goodness of God. But see, the judgment of God is very clear against those who would hear but not believe. They will not enter my rest. God exacts judgment. Those who would see but not know and be changed. Those who would reject or even mock the righteous standards of God. The the judgment of God is real for those who reject the blessing of God. The judgment of God is real for those who reject the blessing of God. Not only is this whole generation of Israel not getting into the promised land, not only are Moses, Aaron, and Miriam left from entering the promised land, but there's a whole other sad scene here, isn't there, with Edom, People who knew better. You're telling me that Esau's descendants didn't know the whole story of Abraham? Guaranteed, that's what they told you. You know those Israelites. They stole our birthright. That should have been ours because Grandpa Abraham heard from God that you will be a blessing. And we were the firstborn. That should have been ours. That's why they hated the Israelites. Because that should have been. So they knew. They knew. They also knew what Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 says. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Whoops. They also knew that. That the promise of God was not just blessing for all the nations. But curse on those who would reject. And mistreat God's people. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If you knew great blessing would come to you if you just let them walk down the main highway, would you not open the main highway? But it's please, no, please, no, please, no. Why? Generational anger, resentment. Whatever the reasoning is, they're rejecting the blessing of God. And if you want to know how God judges the Edomites, go to Amos chapter 1. In Amos chapter 1, God utterly rejects the Edomites for rejecting the people of God. And it's for this specific case. Now, I, I think this is what our world looks like. I think it's a pretty accurate portrayal of our world right now. And this is what I mean by this. The people of God come to Edom and they say, hey, can we come through? This is the easiest way to get to where we're trying to get. So can we come through? And the world says, "Uh, no. We don't really like you guys. You're constantly telling us how awful we are. Telling us we're going to hell. You're telling us what's wrong with us all the time. So, no, you can't use our stuff. You can't come through. You you can't use our highway. You can't use our buildings. You can't use our wells. No, stay out of our land. You can't. And here's, here's the issue. We've forgotten, both sides, forgotten Genesis chapter 12. We're supposed to be a blessing to the nations around us. I'm not sure how good the church is at being a blessing to the people around us. 
I think in crisis, we tend to be. Like, if there's a hurricane, we're good at it. Right? There's a flood, we're good at it. Tuesdays in November, maybe not. You, you can talk about that amongst yourselves, what happens Tuesdays in November. But you think about this. We have a tendency to, instead of being a blessing, doing a lot of them, those, can you believe? That's what we have a tendency to do. When the call is, because we have Christ, we're a blessing to the nations around us. We're a blessing to the world around us. But there's a flip side to this, too. <laughs> we haven't told them enough of the good news that they even know that what they're missing out on. So the world rejects us, and they're rejecting the blessing that comes along with the people of God being in their midst. What if, what if we were such a blessing to the people around us that they wanted us around? Because there's blessing that comes from being the people of God, and there's blessing that comes from being among the people of God. But the fact of the matter is, there's rejection. This is the natural state of humanity is to reject the blessing of God, not receive the blessing of God. And with that comes judgment from God. So I think that's enough bad news for the day. Okay, death, judgment, rejection. I think that's a ba enough bad news for the day. But the bad news is essential to understand the good news. What do we do if no one can actually earn it? Everyone who doesn't earn it is under judgment. <laughs> what do we do? We rely on grace. We rest on God's grace. Not our goodness, not our merit, but his love and his kindness towards us in Christ. See, it's the grace of God that vindicates and preserves those who belong to him. It's the grace of God that gets us there. It's the grace of God that proves we're his and preserves us for him. It's not our obedience that provides for our blessing. It's God's grace. It's not our goodness that sets us in right standing with God. It's God's grace. You see it in the passage. It's the hope that we need to hear. There's grace at the rock that even in disobedience, God kept his promises and he provided for his people for the next generation even, to get them to their home. It's grace and only grace that leads the people of God to God's blessing. See, only the grace of the Savior can lead his people into the promised land of rest. Only the grace of the Savior can do that. Not Moses, not Aaron, not Miriam. You know who's going to end up leading the people into the promised land? Anybody know his name? His name was Joshua. Let me give you his Hebrew name. His Hebrew name was Yeshua. Does that sound familiar to anybody? There's a guy in the New Testament who had the same name. We translate that one, Jesus. See, God is constantly setting these traps in the Bible. Where he's like, the lawgiver and the lawkeeper. And then we have a Savior. We need a Savior to lead us into the promised land. We can't get there ourselves. We need grace. And that's the final scene of the passage. It wasn't going to be Moses and it wasn't going to be Aaron who was going to lead them into the promised land. They needed a Savior. Even Moses and Aaron needed a Savior. They needed grace. Verse 23, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor on the border of the land of Edom, let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Did you catch that? God told Aaron and Moses, Aaron, you're going to die first. That sounds like a really great time with God. That is not the quiet time I woke up wanting today, right? But that's what happens. You're going to die because you disobeyed. And, of course, the rest of the passage shows us the death of Aaron, the mourning of the people. But don't miss this phrase. It's actually repeated. It's in verse 24, and it's repeated again later. And I want you to see it. It's this little phrase that says, let Aaron be gathered to his people. This is really poetic language about death. No, it's actually really important language. 
Because this is the way the Bible would talk about the death of righteous people. Those who have been counted righteous. Because the opposite is, and we've read this over and over again in the law of God, that when people would reject God, what would happen? They would be cut off from the people. Aaron, even in his disobedience, is gathered up to his people. Isn't that good news that even in the midst of his disobedience, God's grace is sufficient to hold him in the promise of being the people of God? Let let me put it another way. (laughs) The promised land wasn't the goal. Let me put it another way for us. Heaven isn't the reward. See, heaven is just the place where the reward happens. The promised land was just a sign of the promises of God being fulfilled. And here's what God said. This was the promise. I will be your God and you will be my people. The dwelling place of God is with his people. That's the promise. The promised land was just the place where it happened. Heaven is just the place where that happens. And so for Aaron, not getting into the promised land, yet hearing, you'll be gathered up to your people. I will be your God. You will be my people. So you wonder, is it worth it if I don't ever get to see Jesus return? Yes. And it's not because of heaven. It's because he will be our God. and We will be his people. It's because the promise is you're going to get gathered up to be a part of that throng of people around the throne of God and God will be in our midst and we'll get to be there forever with him. Let me put it another way to us. If we reject the blessing of knowing him now, why would we want to be with him for eternity? If all we think of is, oh, I just want to go to heaven, streets of gold, that sounds great. Maybe I can fly when I get there. Right? And we're like, what, what does this look like? I want to go to heaven. I just want to go to heaven. And, and, and heaven is just that. But the, I will be your God. You will be my people is not the promise that we're looking for. We're going to be sorely disappointed. Because all of heaven will be about the promise kept. And the promise kept is you will be gathered to your people, to my people. God says, and I will be among you. See, all who desire to enter the eternal rest that is promised need to hear the good news of the grace of God, and they need to believe in Christ with a faith that obeys God's word. Anyone who wants that promise, anyone who wants that eternal rest, anyone who wants God with us forever and ever and ever, needs to hear the good news and believe with the faith that obeys God's word. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament basically spends the whole book unpacking the book of Numbers. Okay, And so the book of Numbers is all about going through the wilderness, and the book of Hebrews is all about what happened in the wilderness and pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment of it. And this is what he says about this This issue right here of those who would hear God's word yet not believe God's word, see God's work yet not follow and obey God. He says this in Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing of the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart. See what he did there? He said, hey, you remember that old story? It's for you to know this. Make sure that you're not hearing and not believing. Right? Make sure you're not the person who's seeing and not obeying. leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another, encourage one another, lift one another up to this every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, sin is telling you you'll be fine. Sin is telling you you didn't get the promises yet, so it's not worth waiting for. 
And that's a lie. For we have come to share in Christ. See, that's the promise. The promise isn't heaven. The promise is you get to share in the inheritance of Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Was it not those whom he saved and redeemed that then rebelled? We could fall the same way by being hearers who do not believe, seers who do not obey. All those who want to enter rest, all those who want the promise that's going to come in the promised land must believe with the faith that obeys. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Today, as I close, you have heard his voice. In the midst of loss, maybe that you walk in, maybe that's the wave that's hitting you today. You can trust his precious promises. In the, in the midst of rejection, maybe that's the wave that's hitting you today. You can trust that he has not rejected Jesus on your behalf. In the midst of sorrow or even your own sinfulness, you can trust that one day he will wipe away every tear from your eyes and he will do away with all sin and evil. Today you've heard his voice. Then in Jesus we have a Savior who will take us into the promised land. But not just take us into the promised land. What he told his disciples before he died was, where I go, you will be also. Amen. It's not just we get the promised land, it's we get Jesus forever. So the call today is, you've heard his voice. Would you believe him enough to obey? Do not harden your heart today. Come to him in faith. Father, I pray that we would now surrender. Give up. Stop trying to prove how worthy we are. Stop trying to prove how good we are. Stop trying to make it clear that we deserve it. But come to the end of ourselves today. And say it's all on Jesus. My only hope. My only defense, my only joy, my only righteousness, my only reward. Jesus, our treasure. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing together as we surrender to him and him alone.